0: This is a Disaster, a podcast about disasters and the music they make us listen to. I'm your host, Peter, and I'm here with my co-host, Lee. Hey. And you're joining us for a Tragedy Tuesday. And if you're new here, Tragedy Tuesdays are our mini-episodes about disasters that aren't so many on the weeks between our major disasters. And today, I've got a topic that's near and dear to my heart, but we'll get there. Hmm. Like we always do. We always get there. A little bit of housekeeping. If you're brand new here, then welcome. If you're interested, I recommend you go back through our back catalog of episodes because we make a lot of references to things we've talked before. So check out. You don't need to to no. understand specific, uh, you know, isolated yeah. episodes, yeah, but yeah. it helps. They're standalones, but we'll we'll make references. Yeah. Also, uh, if you want to check out our shop online, www.thisdisasterpod.com, you can find it there. We got some sweet merch. So Real check sweet. that out. Maybe maybe even a shirt by now. Hey, working hey. on working on that. The gears are turning. Those Everyone needs shirts. They sure do. So today I'm going to talk to you about the Oxford comma. Okay. It's not your typical disaster, <laughs> but I decided to choose this topic and my musical choice later on because October is going to be a pretty dark month and we just came <laughs> off a couple of dark topics. So yeah. I thought I'd brighten things up a little bit, a little <laughs> bit, Yeah. because I, didn't, I don't know if you know this, but there are two types of people in this world. <laughs> there are those that use the Oxford comma. Yes, And there are those that are wrong. (laughs) So I'm just going to start off with a sidebar about the Oxford comma. Okay. So there's two ways to write a list. Uh, Basically, with a comma between the last two items and without. So you can have item A, comma, item B, comma, and item C. Or you can write it, item A, comma, item B, and item C. Right. Without the comma. Right. And without the comma, you can introduce ambiguity as to which parts of the list you're trying to include, is it a list that's item A and item B and C, or is it item A and item B and item C? Well, there you go. That was <laughs> this is a disaster. thanks for tuning in. <laughs> I've got don't don't worry. There is at least one death in this episode. So if you're <laughs> if, you're here, disa-
1: here. <laughs> if oh, you're here for the disaster,
0: if you're here for the disaster, there are disasters. Oh lord! It's uh, yeah. We'll we'll, we'll we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> the ambiguity is worse when you have a list of options. So if you have item A or item B or item C mm-hmm. with commas in between, mm-hmm. it's clear that it's one or the other or the third. Sure. If you have item A, comma item B or item C without the comma, yeah. Then is it item A? Or B or C? Exactly. Or is it A or B or C? You could have toast, yep. bacon, yep. and eggs. Yeah. You could have toast, bacon, and eggs. Wow, the bacon and eggs. Well, <laughs> no, only one. <laughs> <laughs> That's shitty breakfast. But anyway. <laughs> well, this distinction is going to cost a lot of money and lives in a minute. Oh, dear. So <laughs> proponents of the Oxford comma argue that its use results in less ambiguity proponents including myself so you avoid the question like we just said is it a and or b and b and c or b or c or is it a and b and c or a or b or c (laughs) i I know exactly i know exactly what you mean and then basically you have the detractors which are wrong the detractors are lazy people (laughs) so Yes. So here's some, here's, and here's why. So there are instances where the use of the Oxford comma, they argue, can introduce ambiguity. So for example, I dedicate this podcast episode to my father, comma, Lee, comma, and Satan. With that comma, it could be interpreted that Lee is an interjection modifying my father. So like mm-hmm. I, inter- I I dedicate this podcast to my father, who is Lee, and Satan. <laughs> But instances, and you there'll, there'll be another one. But instances that the detractors bring up as introducing ambiguity are really arguments for writing better sentences, not for not using the Oxford comma. Right? Yeah. So, for example, you have you have another you have another instance where the Oxford comma doesn't necessarily resolve ambiguity. Mm-hmm. So, for example, the Times, which incidentally is a sister newspaper to the Sunday Times, mm-hmm. who sponsored the Golden Globe race, go mm-hmm. back and listen to our Tynmouth Electron oh, two parter because that's because a disaster. The mercy, <laughs> the mercy. Oh my god. That, those are great. In our humble opinion, unbiased opinion, those are great episodes. Are, well, that's a good story. But if you're interested in a disaster about a guy who thought he could sail around the world, <laughs> that's that's a that's a good place and to start. And really, really, really <laughs> couldn't or shouldn't have. So, <laughs> but anyway, the Times, at one point, they published a story about this uh, this documentary and among the things that were written in it, they talk about it and they say, highlights include encounters with Nelson Mandela, comma, an 800 year old demigod and a dildo collector. <laughs> They're trying to say these three things are highlights, right? Those are. But if you add that, if you add the comma between the last two items, highlights include encounters with Nelson Mandela, comma, an 800 year old demigod, comma, and a dildo collector. Then it makes it sound It doesn't like resolve it. It sounds like Nelson Mandela is an 800 year old demigod. Or well, you just put brackets around that instead. Or just write it better. Or just write it better. There's different ways to write, write that. Just write more words. Yeah. So like I said, these aren't arguments against the Oxford comma. They're arguments for better sentence structure. Yeah. Lazy people. Yeah. So most US style guides require the use of the Oxford comma. So you've probably heard like APA, Chicago, MLA, even like the US government printing office says that you should use the Oxford comma. I, I hear about that stuff every day. (laughs) (laughs) there are different there are different ways to format like citations okay there's there's also guides on whether you should use the Oxford comma okay and it turns out that the APA Chicago and MLA styles are right hmm but then, generally, you have press style guides, and they advise against using the Oxford comma. So, like the Associated Press style book and the Canadian Press, say don't use it. Oh, really? So, generally, if you, it's it's kind of resulted in this situation where if you see something without the Oxford comma, it's kind of generally thought to be like a journalistic style of writing. Okay, where they I, the I point it, is to be less wordy and less wordy, of- and maybe even literally saving ink. It might be a carryover from when, hey. like, you were concerned with setting type on a printing press. Oh, okay, okay, <laughs> but yeah now a little segue to comma and the law. We've kind of hinted at it, but I don't know if we've explicitly said that I'm currently a law student and I'm interested in the law. Mm -hmm. So I thought I would talk about a few instances of where the commas come up in the law. Okay. Starting with a Canadian instance in the case of Rogers versus Bell Alliant. So in 2006, Rogers signed a contract with Bell Alliant to use their telephone poles. Okay. In the contract, they had this clause, This agreement shall be effective from the date it is made and shall continue in force for a period of five years from the date it is made, comma, and thereafter for successive five-year terms, comma, unless and until terminated by one year prior notice in writing by either party. And you don't have to remember any of that because I'm going to point out why it's interesting. Okay. And just for our non-Canadian listeners, Rogers and Bell are our two major telecom companies in Canada. So... Basically, Bell Alliant wanted out of the contract. Okay. And they gave Rogers enough notice. Okay. They, they basically told them a year ahead of time that they wanted out of the contract. Okay. But Rogers wanted to keep using the telephone poles. And they claimed that the cause meant that the one year notice for cancellation applied only to the automatic renewal. So if you remember, it basically says that the agreements affect the initial agreements affected for five years. Mm-hmm. And then you have it'll renew automatically for five years and the argument is, is that the intention was that it's only the renewal that can be canceled. So they're in for five years. They're basically, but, but Rogers says like, you can't, you can't kick us out because it's only that cancellation clause is only for the renewal. You can't, you can't just kick us out of the first five, they're still within that first five years. So you can't kick us out yet because we haven't exhausted those five years. Gotcha. Gotcha. The telecommunications regulator ruled that the second comma caused the meaning of the opt-out clause to apply both to the original contract and to the renewals. Oh. So the comma, <laughs> the damage. So Rogers would be out a million dollars from the early cancellation uh-huh. because the local e- electricity utility was going to take over the poles used by Bell Alliance. Uh-huh. And the utility planned to jack up the rates, which would basically lock Rogers into paying a million dollars more than they planned to spend. Mm. Which they can afford, so screw. Well, sure, <laughs> but wait. Hey, there's a peculiarity for our U.S. listeners of the Canadian legal and regulatory system that we have official status in two languages: so English and French. Right. And any statute, when you look at, and even you know, judgments from like the Supreme Court, you have like the English version and the French version sure. always published at the same time. Sure. So Rogers appealed the decision saying that the French text offered clarity and the French text is an official text. So Uh sometimes you can do that. If you have ambiguity in an English text, if the French text is clear, you can appeal to it because they're both official texts. And indeed the CRTC, which is our radio telecommunications commission. So they ruled that the French version only had one interpretation and should be followed and that Bell Alliance couldn't kick Rogers out of the contract. Uh So Rogers got to keep (laughs) using the telephone poles. Unfortunately, the CRTC couldn't protect Rogers from the increased rates charged by the local utility. Mm. So Rogers still ends up being out 700,000 but at least it's not a million. At least not a million. Yeah. And if anyone who's dealt with Rogers isn't crying any tears right now for right. Rogers. <laughs> so. No, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you kind of, wish they doubled down on Yeah. That one, but, you know, what are going to do? <laughs> Whatever. A million dollars is a lot. Let's it's talk a- about a little bit more money. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Oakhurst Dairy. All right. Yeah. So Oakhurst Dairy began as a dairy farm in 1907 in Portland, founded <laughs> by Arthur Ledbetter. I nice. thought I'd start with some history. <laughs> They grew from two milk delivery routes in the 1920s to 28 by 1929. In the 40s, they primarily served grocery stores wholesale. By the 70s, they ended home milk delivery to focus on large-scale delivery to grocery stores. Right. They're a fairly successful business spanning over a century. Fortuitous. Yeah. Well, the problem is as much as they know about milk, that's how much they don't know about grammar. <laughs> but we'll get. we'll get to that. Milk tastes good. <laughs> Drink. <laughs> So by 2014, the milk business was doing quite well. So well that Oakhurst Dairy delivery drivers were putting in a ton of hours. So some drivers would average around 150 to 300 miles a day, and that's 240 to 480 wow. kilometers. The milkman. Yeah, and they'd move around around 15,000 pounds or 6,800 kilograms of milk. Jeepers! So they were putting in around 60 hours a week to meet the demand. Holy! So milk business is booming. When was this? This was in 2014. In 2014. Yeah. So nope. Though they're, they're like bringing it to like grocery stores. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. like they ended home man. delivery in the 70s. Yeah, yeah. Like, no, wait yeah. exactly. Wait. So in Maine, where Oakhurst Dairy operates in the States, Maine has a law requiring that any work over 40 hours is paid overtime. Okay. That's fairly, well, fairly that's common. Pretty common. So the drivers must have been raking it in, right? Sure. Wrong. No. The same statute outlines certain activities that are exempt from overtime pay. Huh. And the exemptions are outlined as a list. Oh boy. So Maine's overtime law set out in chapter seven of title 26 of the Maine revised statutes (laughs) exempts. And here's what it exempts. The canning comma processing comma is going to get redundant, but you're going to hear me say comma. comma (laughs) Preserving comma, freezing comma, drying comma, marketing comma, storing comma, packing for shipment or distribution of agricultural produce, meat and fish produce and perishable foods. Notice no comma between you the last the items. Storing, comma, packing for shipment or distribution of a following set of items. Packing for shipment or distribution. Yeah. Well, there's two different things. Right. They are, but there's no comma between them. So, so there's- is this a list of which distribution is an item or is this a list that ends with all in one packing for shipment or distribution? Right. Of. So is the intention to exclude packing for shipment or distribution of items? Or is the intention to exclude packing for shipment as well as the distribution? Right. So if you don't do both, you're screwed. (laughs) So drivers thought this was ambiguous enough that they had a case for overtime pay because delivery drivers distribute the milk, but they don't pack it. Right. If the exemption is supposed to mean packing for the shipment or distribution, then it doesn't apply to them. So they're not exempt. Right. So they get overtime. Mm -hmm. And in 2017, the United States Courts of Appeal for the First Circuit agreed. And the opening sentence of the appeal court judgment reads, for want of a comma, we have a case. <laughs> it's, it's nice when judges get to be clever. Yeah. <laughs> He's on your side. So what's the damage? So the driver sought $10 million in overtime pay. Oh man. So the appeal court ruled in favor of the drivers. Yeah. And after that judgment, Oakhurst Dairy vowed to defend themselves, which probably means bringing it to the Supreme Court, mm. but they ended up settling for $5 million. Huh. Which, I mean, when I read that, it's kind of a drop. Yeah. You're asking for 10 and you settle for five. Yeah. Wondering if maybe their lawyers could have pushed a little harder there. Yeah. <laughs> we'll take it. <laughs> yeah, right. Maybe they, maybe, maybe they didn't believe in the Oxford comma as much as I did. Maybe not. But maybe you, should, you should believe to say, Okay, comma. seven. <laughs>
1: right. That's At how least you, that's seven. That's
0: haggle. Yeah. So 10 million's a lot. Yes. But what's the most expensive comma in history? You might be wondering <laughs> as I did. I was just wondering that. Right? Yeah. I thought I thought you might be. But what's the most expensive? Isn't this so much more interesting than plagues and volcanoes? It's a and, nice break. It's a nice break from all that depressing horrible. Well, we we depression. have we have a truly tragic famine coming up, so don't get too comfortable. <laughs> yeah. So, most expensive comma in history. When the United States was but a wee fledgling country, it collected tariffs instead of income tax. They put tariffs on goods imported into the country. Okay. And they began this process or this uh, way of doing things with the Tariff Act of 1789. Okay. With duties to be laid, quote, on goods, wares, and merchandise to support the government. Okay. That's just how they decided to do things. Mm. For a century following the enactment of the Tariff Act, over 90% of government revenue was from import tariffs. Sure. Income tax didn't become a permanent thing until World War One. It oh. briefly appeared in the 1860s to fund the Civil War, and then it went away. <laughs> and then it returned to stay after World War One. Yeah, no kidding. Because you kinda America up, went broke after yeah, World War One. Kind of raked up a bill there. Yeah, and who's going to away World War Two. They were like, "Yeah, we'll take a pass. You guys yeah. sorted out with yeah. that clankety yeah. schlankety guy." Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Anyway, income tax there to stay, but we're still in the era of tariffs. Yeah. In 1870, the income tax was gone again following the Civil War, and we're back to tariffs. And just like we try to avoid income tax wherever we legally can, Mm. future lawyer, (laughs) importers were always scouring new amendments to the tariff act for ways that they could minimize the duties that they pay. Okay. Fair enough. Sure. That's what you do. Oh, you gotta. Enter duty rates on fruit. So in 1870, the Tariffs Act exempted from duties, quote, fruit plants, comma, tropical and semi-tropical for the purpose of propagation or cultivation. And the US made a ton of money on duties on the import of tropical fruits like oranges, pineapples, and bananas, because none of them were native and everybody wanted them. All right. In 1872, the amendment to the Tariff Act included a typo. Mm. Instead of adding a hyphen between fruit plants, Uh they added a comma. Fruit So now it reads... (laughs) Fruit, <laughs> comma, plants, comma... Tropical and semi-tropical for the purpose of propagation or cultivation. Mm. So now all of those things, because of the comma, were exempted from duties. Fruit (laughs) importers went bananas. (laughs) Bananas. (laughs) And I have a note here (laughs) saying that I've never intended a pun more in my (laughs) life. (laughs) Orange you glad I intended that pun? Damn it, you went up me (laughs) immediately. Fruit importers went bananas. They immediately filed claims for refunds on tariffs paid abroad as fruits entered the US. Mm-hmm. So I guess at the time, tariffs were typically collected at the port where the fruits left. Yeah, And then as all of these boats were landing, they immediately filed claims for, ter- for refunds. Of <laughs> tariffs. So after initially resisting, and obviously the subsequent court proceedings brought by the importers, the government was forced to concede that the comma existed and the claims for exemption were valid. Because they mm. start off, the government starts off saying like, well, clearly we didn't mean that. Yeah, but well, laws of the there laws. It is in black and you didn't light, mean it, Sunny Jim. You didn't mean it. Don't write it. Yeah. So, luckily, this only cost the government two million dollars, <laughs> which 18... back then was two hundred billion dollars. Well, in eighteen, well, yeah, yeah. next was stealing <laughs> my thunder, <laughs> God. In eighteen fifty, 1850... uh, so in eighteen seventy-five, two million dollars was nearly forty-seven million dollars in twenty nineteen money. It's a lot of corn. For a little bit more perspective, it accounted for 1.3% of total tariff income, which I don't know if, I don't think they ever, I read a little bit more about it. They never really found out the source of that comma typo, (laughs) but at the very least, I'm assuming if they found him, he was fired. (laughs) If not whipped through the streets. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the, this is the era of whipping out of town still. So he's probably whipped out of town. (laughs) I don't live in this city anymore. Mm -hmm. Remember how I promised you at least one death? Uh Uh-huh. Let's talk about Roger Casement, an Irish nationalist in the early 1900s. Okay. So during World War I, Casement sought Germany's aid in the Easter Rising or Easter Rebellion in Ireland. And it was basically an insurrection to end uh, British rule. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Germany agreed to provide arms, military expertise, and whichever Irish prisoners of war would volunteer for a brigade to assist in the uprising. Okay. Because I guess Germany just wants to- so, unrest wherever it can, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, their advantage, Germany and England are not mm. friends at this point, not I guess. buds. No, so they ended up drafting about 50 out of 2,000 POWs. Okay, which I mean, it turns out nobody wants to risk being hanged as a traitor in case the Triple Entente yeah. won the war. No, we'll take our chances with the POW with this camp, yeah, yeah. Sure we, get, be... we get food at least, yeah, three <laughs> hots and a cot, yeah. Well, <laughs> not to belittle, we'll no, know. it's actually. <laughs> A a living nightmare. That's a disaster. That, yeah. Listen to, if you haven't already, listen to Dan Carlin's Hardcore History about, he has like a six part, five hour each thing on the First World War called Mm. Blueprint for Armageddon. That'll, that'll change you. Curl your hair. Yeah. So anyway, Casement was smuggled ashore to Ireland ahead of the scheduled arms shipment and rebellion. But he was so weak from a recurrence of malaria, which he originally contracted doing humanitarian work in Congo that he was bedridden. Yeah. And he was discovered and arrested on charges of high treason, sabotage, and espionage against the crowd, Ugh. which is still no joke. No. I mean, this is early 19, 1900s, but don't don't be a traitor. Don't be a traitor. Not even like light treason. <laughs> <laughs> Just committed some light treason. <laughs> so Caseman's trial for treason hinged on the Treason Act of 1351. It was originally written in an Anglo-Norman French text, okay. which lacks punctuation. Ah, and Anglo-Norman French was used extensively in royal charters, legislation, administration, and justice in England throughout the 13th to 15th centuries. Okay. So I guess it's just hadn't been amended since then. Old. Yeah, well. With an E at the end. <laughs> <laughs> it's so old. Nice. <laughs> so the relevant passage read, and I had to modify it a bit to fit it all in, in context, but okay. it read, if a man gives aid and comfort to the king's enemies in his realm, in the realm or elsewhere, Then he's committed treason. Mm. Unpunctuated, this seems to mean that a person is guilty of treason if he helps the king's enemies, whether they're within the realm or elsewhere. Mm. The enemies. Yeah. The key is the location of the king's enemies and not the accused traitor. Okay. At Caseman's trial, the court decided that a comma should be read into the Anglo-Norman text. So now it reads, if a man gives aid and comfort to the king's enemies in the realm, comma, or elsewhere, comma... (laughs) He's a traitor. <laughs> so now with the added comma around or elsewhere, it can now be read to mean that the accused traitor has aided the king's enemies, whether the traitor was within the realm or elsewhere. Mm. So the comma giveth and the comma taketh <laughs> away. Nice. Caseman actually, he later wrote that he had been, quote, hanged on a comma. Mm. And indeed he was on <laughs> August 3rd, 1916. Oh boy. At least he had a yeah. sense of humor of it. Well, <laughs> Right until yeah, the end. You got to appreciate that. Yeah. So, the take home. Thanks a friggin' lot. (laughs) Friggin' grammar. Friggin' grammar jerks. Also, what's a Nazi? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, the take home. While these instances aren't all about the Oxford comma specifically, one thing is clear commas, or the lack thereof, can be the difference between rags, riches, and sometimes even life or death. And also, if you don't use the Oxford comma, you're wrong and should feel bad. And that was my quick Tragic Tuesday. That's about nice and Oxford snappy. Comma. Nice oh, and I snappy. Music-wise. Very <laughs> I... comma and the comma commas. <laughs> Actually, this is completely unrelated. <laughs> okay. Again, I cannot emphasize, I hope I'm not hyping it up too much, but I can't emphasize how dark we're getting in the next few episodes. So I thought I'd keep it light with my musical choice. Oh, sweet. So for my musical choice, yes. I went with Don't Stop Me Now by Queen. no. That's a that's just a fun one. I, I was I was walking my dog today, and the song came on. And that's the kind of song where whenever I hear it, I have to hear it at least one more time immediately. Okay. It's just super happy. And I know that maybe that's most of my song recommendations lately have been dark and black metal. <laughs> and we've got like a few dark ones coming up. So I thought, you know what? Enjoy the good times while you can. Because uh, next week, we're diving right back into the dark. We're diving into death, yep. comma despair (laughs) comma and a healthy dose of plague there you go thanks for tuning in that was a tragic Tuesday if you want to follow us you can check us out on social media at this disaster pod on Twitter Instagram and Facebook you can go to our website and find it all in one place www.thisdisasterpod.com got some bonus episodes and some art prints and maybe some shirts soon and thanks for tuning in